0: There's need all around us. The scriptures tell us that God is both a good father and a faithful father. And he's just. We're celebrating Mother's Day today. And I found it in my walk of parenthood that there are certain things that work to help kids get things done. I can incentivize my kids to get things done. When I incentivize them, things happen. Now the incentives can range a whole gamut of stuff. I can incentivize them with reward. Hey Johnny, you be good today in the store. We'll go to Dairy Queen when this is all over. And sometimes Johnny will grab a hold of the cart and sit there quietly as we go through the as we go through the store. And then there are days where it doesn't matter what the goodie is on the end of the of the rainbow, Johnny's not going to be good. And I have to resort to things like, Johnny, if you want to experience no pain today, you better be good. The rest of the time, we're in the store. A lot, of, a lot of moms have found very, very creative ways, at least my wife has, of getting me to pay attention and do what I need to do. I watch my wife with my kids all day long, and she has the most creative ways to get them accomplished things. And then, if it boils down to it and she just can't get them to comply, usually she says these infamous words Your dad will be home soon. And I don't want to have to tell him that we've had a bad day. And all of those things work. Now, we as children of God have been given certain details and certain things he expects us to do. And much like a good father, and let me say this God is a good father. What makes God good is He's both loving and He's just. What makes God good is there's just not one side to Him, there's multiple sides. And when we know all of Him, we're better able, able to assess just how good that He is. Because we want to concentrate sometimes on the God is love segment of things. There's a lot of emphasis on our, on our world today about God being loving. And if God's loving, he wouldn't dare. You know what? I'm a loving dad and I would dare. If my kids step out of line, I'm going to do some things to bring them back into correction if I truly love them. And somehow we've got this idea that God is some cosmic, you know, granddaddy or something in heaven who's never really going to exercise any discipline. He's never going to bring any correction. He's never going to call something that actually is. He's just going to love us. And we have this bad idea of God. He gives us incentive, both with reward and with retribution. He makes it clear that there are good things that will happen for us from his hands if we follow what he wants. And he also makes it perfectly clear. Read Hebrews 12. Every son God loves, he chastens, the scriptures say. And yet we just want to think about the oh the lo- the lovey lovely part of it. Listen, there are eternal ramifications for our decisions, for our lives, for 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 what we choose to do, what we choose not to do. There are, there are those things. And to not think about the, the one side and only think about the other side is a is a bad deal. And and we have to consider that our that our, our loving Savior both loves us, but he loves us enough. To bring correction when it's necessary. There is a heaven this is not touched by an angel. I know some of y'all like those TV shows. It's okay with me, I guess. It's pretty wholesome stuff, but some of the some of the underlying messages were a little bit subversive and false. Because the scriptures tell us not everybody's going to heaven, and that's sad to say. And I know people don't like that, but that's just the facts. Not everybody gets a free pass. Not everybody will enjoy the eternal bliss of of the reward of having grabbed a hold of the grace of God. Now, God wants everybody to do that. The the book of uh, 2 Peter tells us that. God is not willing that any should perish. But that all should come. Now, what's in these next words? It doesn't say that all should come to heaven. It doesn't say that but that all should come to repentance, which means to turn it around. He wants all of us to turn it around. And so, as we repent, as we come toward the grace of God, things happen on the inside of us, and things change. So today I want to offer you some incentive as as a parent. Moms, thanks for loving us in spite of ourselves at times. Moms, thanks for offering us correction when we needed it. Because without that, we would be... I heard Tony Evans say one time, he said, love without boundaries will always lead to rebellion. Boundaries without love will always lead to rebellion. If we out of balance any of that, we get into trouble. In the book of Matthew, chapter 25 you'll find Jesus our loving savior offering some details as to what's going to shake out at the end of all things. And there's he shows us the the he shows us this idea of there are there's both reward and retribution. And so if you would look with me there to Matthew 25 We've been studying. A, we're doing a, a series of messages called "May I Serve," and it's May, the month of May. It's little I, and a big S there. Serve, and the answer to the question is yes. And you have good reason to today. Last week it was yes, and you have the equipment to. We did. We gave out spiritual gifts tests, and there's still some at the thing. And I want every one of you to bring one, fill one of these out, and bring it back with you next week. Yes, and you should was the first week. Second week was yes, and you have the equipment to. This week is yes, you have good reason to. You have good reason to because there's both reward and retribution uh, lying ahead. In Matthew 25, verse 31, you'll find these words. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne. Now the picture here that, God, uh, that Jesus creates is God is sitting in a place, Jesus himself is sitting in a place of authority. He's sitting in a place of decision making. He's sitting in a place of, of considering all things. And he says these words, He says, I will come and I will sit on my throne. The angels will be with me. And I will sit there. That's the picture, the picture of Jesus sitting on the throne is not necessarily a picture of just mere majesty of a king sitting places. That is the picture of Jesus sitting as judge. This is the end of the whole kit and caboodle. The The whole thing is coming to a close. And Jesus is sitting there ready to judge what has occurred on this planet over the course of time, all of time, all of history. And we don't like to think about Jesus being sitting as judge, but he declares that he will. These are his words. You will find them in Matthew 25. If you have a red-letter edition of the Bible, these these words are probably in red. And so I'm not making up some vain philosophy of just mere religiosity. I'm explaining to you the words that Jesus himself uttered. And he gives us a picture of himself sitting somewhere looking at humanity and making decisions about humanity. And so the next piece of the puzzle is this. Jesus looks around. It says all nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right and the goats at his left. There is this partition that's going to take place. And there is going to be a necessary separating of peoples. There will be people who will be escorted to the, to the right. And these will be the people who have embraced the grace and the power and the love of God and the word of God as truth. Then there will be these people on the left. Well, this, is, this is your right, isn't it? this is my left, so just bear with me, okay? And there will be these people on the left who will not have done that. And he makes it plainly clear there will be a Separation. There will be this dividing of the peoples. He is, and he will make no apologies for that. He will not sit there and, 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 and be sorry that, that he has to make a decision. He will make the decision. He will look at each life. Now, one thing I want to say here is we're about to walk into some things, and I, I want to make it clear that we're not talking about climbing a ladder to get to heaven what I'm about to explain to you is very difficult to comprehend if you look at it from a mere religious point of view. But he, he makes it clear in these next few verses of how he's going to what's going to help him to determine the hearts, and that's the big key, of people. Okay? Are you with me so far? Verse 24, 34 says these the king will say to those on his right, come. You were blessed by my Father and inherited the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. And he goes through these next true statements. And he says, for I was, and you, and I was, and you, and I was, and you, I was, and you, I was, and you, I was, and you. Was, and you. And he names six statements like that. And if you look at these statements, it looks almost as if Jesus is saying, here is this list of things you have to do to get to heaven. Doesn't it look that way? He's being very very specific. What we have to understand, taking the whole counsel of Scripture, is this is not the list. We, we know from, 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 from Jesus' talk about the Holy Spirit, the one sin people we be convicted of is to not believe that he is the Son of God. He's not saying you do these things to get to heaven. What he is saying in the light of all of scripture is this. If I have come into your life, I will so wreak havoc on your life. There will be things that will come out of your life that will just become natural or should become natural. And if you tell me that you have me in your life and you do not do these basic things, it's apparently obvious that you're just giving into some religious structure or some religious idea of stuff. And you're really not with me. You can't love people the way I love people. If you can't meet need the way I want to meet need, then it's it's obvious what you have is not me. It's something else. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He's not saying you got you got to climb this ladder. Okay, I got the hunger ladder. I got the thirst rung. I'm climbing up. Okay, there's the nakedness one. I got that one covered. I'm doing all that. He says he says what, what 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 the how he will know the heart of the people. Who he's looking at that moment is how those with need are dealt with by them. James 1:27 says these words. Says if you that if you want to minister, if you want a pure religion, you must tend to orphans and widows in their time of need and keep yourself unspotted from the world. I want to say kudos to you, church tea people, because last week you poured out your heart of love. We didn't intend to take any money from people, but the question was asked in first service, what if somebody wants to to give money towards buying bags for kids who are in, in in the foster parenting system so they can pack up their stuff when they do a move from place to place? That's godly ministry because God loves orphans. He loves those who have no home, and he intends for his church to fill the gap and the need. Not only do we receive some of these that are sitting here, almost $300 came in just last Sunday to buy, and we never intended to take money that have project bags on the check or on the envelope now these bags here were $7 at Walmart that's nearly 40 bags wow that's a blessing but I hope you did not do that with the intention of trying to make a way to heaven by doing it. I hope that heaven has already come to your soul. And now the overflow of heaven already being in your soul is like, I want to do that. Are you hearing me so far? I hope it's not like, oh, that's what the church is doing. So, you know, God will smile on me if I, you know, and maybe things will be good when I get. No, listen, things should already be good with you and Jesus. This comes out of things being good with you and Jesus. I was, and you. I was, and you. The next line of people, look at the next one. He looks at them, and he goes, listen. They said, how do we see that? When we do that, Lord, he said, when you did it to one of the least, you, did it, you were doing it to me. Then the next, he looks at them, and he goes, away with you. The next, the guys on the left, away with you. You cursed ones." That's pretty strong language when Jesus says it. For I was, and you didn't. 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 See, for us to take on the heart and the mind of Christ, we have to begin to see what He sees. And when we see what He sees, our heart and our desire should to be to help where He says help. Should be to do what he says do, should be to meet the need that he says needs met. And he goes through a list. The problems are hunger and thirst and nakedness. Look at all that. Basic, he says, in your life. He talks about being strangers. He says those, those things have to do with emotional well-being, relational needs. Those who are outcast. He says those who are sick, those who are damaged by life, those who are damaged in in, in the course of how things go, those who are damaged in their bodies. He said, listen, help me there. Those who are in prison, those who are bound by things, that their life, they feel like they're trapped every day to some addiction, trapped every day in some kind of deal. Maybe some are literally are in prison. I I, I would love to have been near heaven a few weeks ago when Chuck Colson crossed the finish line. I, heard some, I saw somebody tweet, you know, Chuck Colson, Chuck Colson, you guys may think I, I know that name, and they're like, uh, I heard I him. he was one of the Watergate guys, did time, found Jesus in prison, and like, oh yeah, well, I am thinking, no, literally, this guy found Jesus in prison for the next, uh, uh, for the rest of his life, he, he ministered to other prisoners, he went back and started a ministry called Prison Fellowship, and he's done that for all, the, and just a couple weeks ago, he passed away. And I saw somebody tweet, and it sent chills in my spine as I even think about it right now. He said, the, the, the tweet said this, Chuck Colson just heard the, the, the voice of a Galilean utter, I was in prison, and you came to me. I got goosebumps on goosebumps just uttering those words. Because you see, the grace of Jesus had been poured into Chuck Colson's life. And the only response Chuck Colson could do was go, Dude, there's people just like me who need this grace, and I refuse to not let them experience it. But every day we walk by people with need, and we just don't have time. We walk by, with, oh, we go, somebody else will tend to that. How do I know which one God will with me? Be? Because it's the one that keeps popping up. It's that same person at work that God, every time you walk by me, I could help them. And then you kind of let it go. And then two days later, they're right back in front of you. And you're like, okay, there it is again. And you keep waiting for God to do something. God's like, no, I'm waiting for you to do something. I'm ready to do something because you're standing there in front of them. I don't want you to meet every need. Just, I told you last week, find one. Meet one. One. Find one that has need and try and reach them where they are. If your heart of compassion does not overflow as a Christian into the life of just helping one, I don't even know. I, I'm like, Jesus, I'm like, you're probably a goat. Huh? I'm just thinking. Out loud, sort of. I do that a lot. It's not very often that people come by the office and go, who's Aaron talking to? Absolutely Nobody. Am I interrupting something? No, I'm just in a thought process. Thanks a lot. I haven't started answering yet, so I think we're okay. And the point is that this whole story is there is reward for meeting the need and being obedient, and there's retribution for having not done that. We, Jesus gives us the prime example of, man, He's, he's the epitome of, of the person who, who meets need. Who doesn't overlook one person. He, he takes time out of his day and he sits with a lady uh, at the well in John 4 whom nobody else wants anything to do. With. And he's the savior of the planet. He's got all kinds of needs to take care of it. And he just stops. Sends his boys on to go get food and he just waits for her. He's the one who stops and finds blind Bartimaeus by the road as he's yelling out and he just stops what he's doing. He goes, okay, I can do that. Jesus is that person is that he, he hasn't asked anything of us he hasn't already intended to fulfill himself and if we are to be the body of Christ then how can we not do what he already showed us is appropriate thing to do if there's a need in this ministry and you look at it and you can feel the skills and you don't what is wrong with you can I just ask that question again what is wrong with you if you're going to be here on a Sunday morning anyway and you can do something, why not go ahead and do that? If you can get the neighbors some groceries and you know they have need, why don't you just do that? If you have an affinity for ladies who find themselves pregnant unexpectedly and trying to, why don't you just help Elizabeth's hope out? If you're a medical professional and you've got skills to help attend to people's physical needs, and you know there's a thing that's a, a conglomeration of Christian ministries working together called Hope Clinic, and you've got time one Monday every like three months to be a part of it, and you don't, what's wrong with you? Is a pastor allowed to say that? I'm just asking. Because I, I, I don't know. Why you wouldn't? I don't understand. And I And so why wouldn't you? I, and I appreciate all, all of you guys. Listen, I've got more offers to help my, to help get my, myself and my family moved than I know what to do with. And so I know you're like that, but you know what? It's easy to recognize me. It's easy to see me. Because I'm standing from you every week. I don't want you just seeing me. The disciples could see Jesus, and His response to them when I was this, you did or you didn't. And they had looked past them, and if they had looked at them, they'd have found Him. You get what I'm saying? Don't pick the easy route. Don't don't detect the easy need. I'm going to say something kind of weird, okay? And it's not because I don't want help, okay? Let me ask you a question. Where do you think the reward's going to be greater in heaven? Helping a pastor who's already got 16 people offering to help him move? Or would it be helping somebody who maybe nobody's paying attention to? And I don't, I don't disappreciate the offers. Don't, do not misunderstand what I'm saying. And you've been hard to get along with. No, I'm just saying, listen, fine, you can move your own self. That's just the way it's going to be. What I'm saying is think about the fact that there are people who have need around you Maybe not. So I going to say something. Like, it probably isn't. Like, it's probably easy to help me. Maybe it's not. Maybe I make it hard for you. I don't know. At times, I make it hard for my wife to want to help me do things. But you, you understand what my heart is there. You understand what I'm saying. I had somebody tell me one day they were, they were in, in the hospital, and they were having some issues. And we were talking about what was going on with them and, and uh, something, about mowing, something about mowing the grass. And, dude, I have a hard time keeping up, too, I told him. And their, their response was this Well, you're the pastor. You always have people want to help you. And I had to stop and think about that for a minute. Because that's exactly a true statement. You know, can, I, can, I, can I confess? You know what drives me crazy? I was going to you, it just drives me nuts. I hate the fact that there's no place to park at Adina Hospital and there are four empty spots that say clergy on them. We're going to give pastors a free pass who are supposed to serve people and we got some old lady who's walking clear from 15 miles away and will her park there? Are you kidding me? There's something that's not right about that. And I'm out there all the time. Okay? Something just doesn't sit well with me. And they got the sticker on the back of the car that says clergy like they deserve something. No, Jesus said serve. Okay, I'm off my soapbox now, okay? Um, Just, it drives me crazy. And I absolutely refuse to sit and park in one of them. I just absolutely do. It's just great. It's like taking fingernails down a chalkboard. Because we get it so backwards. Ministry is supposed to be about service. We are supposed to make ourselves low on purpose, not ask for the best spots at the, at the hospital. Anyway. Am I, are you okay with me so far? Okay, good. Ah! You know why I think that Jesus is the epitome of, 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 of who we're supposed to follow? And in John 13, you find Jesus setting the standard. You find Jesus setting the stage. He, he's looking. He's facing his last hour. And you, you see Jesus just... He, he, let me read it to you. Let me read it to you. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and returned to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Put this picture in mind. Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth. Jesus, the master. Jesus, the one who was the great teacher, the rabbi, everybody wanted to, to, to be near and touch and follow. He gabs his closest guys to him. The scriptures say he knows his time is at hand. He's about, the hour is coming, he's about to wrap this thing up. And the scriptures say he's looking around there and he even knows one of these guys who are sitting in this room in not so many hours are going, is going to betray him. One of them is going to deny that he even knows Jesus three times before the sun rises. The other ten of them are going to r- jump and run and not even be found near where Jesus needs them to be. After they said they would not leave him, he would, they would be there with him, they'd follow him to the end. And Jesus knows all that's about to take place. He still grabs the pitcher and he still grabs the basin. He takes the towel, and I don't have a towel big enough. You guys are probably trying to figure out why the the, ta- the stack of towels has been on the logo. This is why. Jesus takes the towel, wraps it around wherever he is on himself and begins to go to each one of them. Not because they're good. In fact, he knows just the opposite of all of them. He knows they're about to ditch him when he needs them the most. And he grabs a towel begins to pour water into a basin he sits down as their master and he takes a knee i think i love about jesus is he rested in the oversight of the father he knew if nobody else was paying attention and if nobody else knew what was going on god his father was paying attention And he rested in the mission and the authority God had given him. In our day and age, the farther we climb up the ladder, the less we are willing to get dirty about. But Jesus, being so confident of what the Father had called him to do, he has no problem bowing his knee down low and getting before guys. Serving people who the rest of us would find hard to serve, especially if we knew they were betraying us. Especially if we knew they were to deny that we were even friends or anything. Especially if we knew they were not going to be found when we needed them the most. And here is Jesus. The love of the Father had grown so big on the inside of him that he, he couldn't help but do what he was about to do. I don't know if you can grab a hold of that. Anyone know about Jesus? He sees a need nobody else pays any attention to. Who's paying attention to people's feet? I mean, really, mom, today, can I say something to you? I know you feel like sometimes nobody really knows what it's like. I know some days you wake up and you're like, people only knew. What about, how come nobody ever pays attention to what I need? I say something to you. Jesus recognizes the need. Nobody else took any concern for disciples' feet. Nobody else paid attention that they were grimy and dirty and they're about to, to enjoy a Passover celebration where ceremonially they were all supposed to be clean. Nobody else even offers. Nobody else paid and Jesus sees the need that nobody else sees. That's awesome saw it the other thing I love about Jesus is he was willing to get a little bit dirty he actually bends his knee he actually reaches down and grabs nasty dirty smelly feet that have been walking in the Galilean dust and sand I don't know about you I'm not real fond of feet Especially ones that have been in gym shoes and I had to help my son a couple of times yesterday. We just wrapped up soccer yesterday and I go straight from there to a homeschool expo thing. And he decided to take his shoes off and those feet had been in them tennis shoes literally all day long. And that was gross. But Jesus is willing to get down and dirty, man. He's willing, if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Christ, let me say something. He knows about the dirt and he knows about the trash and the thing that sets Jesus apart from all other gods of this earth is he does this and he gets right down in the dirt with you and with me and he reaches down into that and he pulls us up out of that crap and that garbage and that stuff you know camels walk the same roads that those disciples walked And I'm guessing there was probably more on those feet than just dust. I hate to paint like a horrible picture, but I'm just saying that's reality. You get what I'm saying? It was stinky. It was smelly. It was dirty. And he does it anyway. He's not afraid to get dirty to fill the need. I love Jesus because in verse 12, it says, After washing their feet... The beginning of John 13 says these words. It says after he'd come to the end, he had finished everything God had told him to do. Jesus is our model because he starts and he finishes. Jesus is our model because he just doesn't see the need and just stay there for a little while. He just keeps going until it's done. He goes to every tw- all 12 of those men. And I don't know who else, maybe was in the room. But he had finished. That was after, he had, after he'd washed their feet, he got all the way to the end. Then he knew he was done. He didn't stop early, he didn't get sidetracked on the way there, he, fin- he started and he finished. I know something that aggravates moms more than anything else, is to give directions and then not get done, or get half done. Is that right, moms? And for some of us dads, it's probably the same way. I probably don't fit in that category, actually. I get sidetracked too easy myself. But Jesus starts and he finishes. He's the model. He is who we follow. He is who we pattern our lives after. Some of you have seen a need, but you haven't finished. You started, but it's not done yet. Finish. Finish what you began. Finish what you started. Complete the need. Finish the job. Finish well and finish strong. And then Jesus, it's amazing. I'm at the rest of it. Jesus, he put his robe on again, sat down. He said, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do you? Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Jesus, in the whole time he's going through this process, is not expecting, he is not expecting the disciples to get it. Do you understand? He's asking, do you understand? The one thing he expected that was that God was paying attention that the Father was gazing down, he knew what was necessary, and he expected eternal recognition from God the Father. Sometimes we quit because not enough people are paying attention. Sometimes we stop early because people underappreciate us. Sometimes we stop because we forget the one person who really makes a difference. And Jesus is able to finish because he expected eternal recognition from his Father in heaven. He says the words, God will bless you if you do them. Now automatically people get excited about that. But here's the deal. I want to explain something else to you. When it says God will bless you, God doesn't put a time frame on that. And some blessing for having obeyed God will not materialize until you cross the finish line. We are like, we are so into this society of quickness and efficiency. We expect that it's like driving through the, you know, McDonald's is amazing at this point. You McDonald's, most of them, and I hear there's a plan, they're going to have two drive-through windows or drive-through lines at every McDonald's like in the next few years. That's their plan. And so we expect we're going to pull up to the thing, we're going to place the order, we're going to pay the cost, and boom, we're at the next window getting our sweet tea, Right? That's how it should work with God. And if God can do that, surely God can do that. You know what I mean? So we're going we're to pay our dues. We're going to make the sacrifice. We're going to pay the cost of meeting the need and expect as soon as we get to the next window, dude, the sweet tea's coming out the window. Let me explain to you something. Not every one of those things materialize on this side. But that is not important. What's important is that it will materialize on the other side. My goal is not to be comfy, cozy on this side of heaven. My, my goal is to get to heaven and experience comfy, cozy when I get to sit at his feet. Jesus looked at one guy and he said, listen, if you're going to follow me, you have no place to lay your head. I'm not promised you any material blessing for this. Hey, brother, pick up your cross and follow. That's what he said. In our culture, And especially our Christian culture, we want like, oh, showers of blessing. And we think that that it's going to materialize just like McDonald's. And Jesus kept continually offering to his guys, listen, there's eternal reward. There's eternal reward. There's eternal reward. Keep looking. Keep waiting. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes these words. Work willingly at whatever you do as though... You were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And the master you're serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, here's that tension again. But if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong you have done as well. For God has no favorites. Even Paul talks about that. Ooh, that's tension. That's like walking a tight wire, man. How, how is he able to do that? I don't know. Because I don't do it well. Usually I overcompensate for the weaknesses of my kids, and sometimes I, I, I discipline them for things that they just can't help. Anybody else have that problem? Especially if you've had a long day. Huh? Somehow Jesus is able to take both those ideas and bring them together and go, I got it. I don't know how he does it, but I got it. And you should expect eternal recognition. The New King James Version reads this way And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. He who does wrong will be repaid for what he's done, and there's no partiality. God in heaven expects that we will be like the person of Christ. We'll grab the basin. We'll grab the pitcher. We'll meet the need. We'll get down as low as we can to take care of it. Not expecting recognition or fame or reward on this side of heaven. Asking God to show us what the next one is. Inheritance is something you receive later. You ever notice that? It's always later. And both places, we read, talk about it being an Inheritance. I I said this a few weeks ago, and I I do not intend to arrive at heaven safely. I don't intend to have a big bankroll. I don't intend to arrive at heaven with all the stuff money can buy and all the toys man wants. I don't intend to arrive there. I hope that by the time I get to the end of it, my entire life is consumed. I hope that as I walk through life, my kids gain the same attitude. I hope that they have things that are more important to them than just temporary comfort stuff. I hope that I hope in their mind they are so locked in on heaven, nothing of this world can vie for their attention. I hope that when they that they have their lines so locked in on the things of heaven. Colossians three one says this: to set your set your affections on things of heaven, not on things of the earth. That's how you can get low because you have set your sight on something high above and you can get low because you know that's where the focus is, not this stuff. Man. So I'm going to ask you a question. What's the need? What is the need? What are you talking about here? What is the need around you? Who, Who are the needy around you? What can you do? I can't answer those questions for you. For a long time, we've done ministry in the body of Christ, waiting for the pastor or some brainiac in some office somewhere to come up with the next ministry program to figure out what we're doing. Listen, we walk right by them every stinking day of our lives. And if we are all doing our jobs, those things will get met. And it won't take a church budget to do it. And it won't take a, 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 an organizational guru to make it happen. It'll take the Holy Spirit of God speaking to somebody and going, dude, it's right there. It's right there. Shh. And then you'll say, hey, you know, my, my wife has this idea, had this idea about this, doing something else in Kingston. And she was reading. And you know what's amazing? She started talking about it. And people just latched on. And we didn't even make a program out of it. But our connection group took it on as a Micah 6A project. And then all of a sudden, we get other people who are like, hey, can we help out? Can we do that? What are we gonna? And so it's become this deal where we're like, dude, we can meet real needs. Did you know that just in the Zane Trace School District right here where it's at, nearly 50% of the students in the Zane Trace School District, which is one of the more affluent school districts of Ross County, almost 50% of the children receive free and reduced lunches. Okay? Which is... It kind of blows your mind. But listen to this. What do they do during the summertime? And I'm sure some of them, you know, there are probably some my wife, I said, we just had to, to get a new dishwasher. You think so? Okay. I thought a couple of people are like, are you really going really to buy them a dishwasher? Maybe you should let them take care of that. I thought, there's a young couple buying our house. There's his husband, but he's in a lot of trouble. Because his wife thinks she's getting a good dishwasher. I'm going to save him some grief. <laughs> huh? And so we, went, we, went, got, we went, went and bought one. We installed it the other day. Here's the crazy thing. I got people give me the eyes like, I said to somebody the other day, don't you give them nothing else. I was like, well, if Jesus tells me to, I'm going to give them, I'll, I'll give them every piece of furniture I got if God tells me to. I don't care. What are you going to do? I don't know. We'll figure out something. And here's the crazy thing. We, we, we bought this dishwasher last, last weekend. I didn't even get a chance to, to put it in until Thursday which is a miracle all by itself. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. And uh, by midweek, God pays attention. God pays attention. By midweek, I had an envelope handed to me. Twice the amount of money I spent on this washer, And I didn't even make the connection. My wife goes, you realize what just happened? And I went, Nope. Against advice of people, we bought a dishwasher. And this week, we're having an envelope with money in it. Nobody knew we bought that dishwasher. Nobody knew you were going to install that dishwasher. And the people, the people who, who gave it to us didn't know we were, we were buying a dishwasher or anything like that. And I went, no stinking way. You know what's crazy about that? I had in my heart, I wanted to bless the kids from my soccer team. Before we wrap up.